Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. couple postings, including a story... I want to get you ahead of the curve on because I predict this will be a headline story tomorrow. The only place I have seen this reported, at least locally, was um, Good Morning America. But I'm not sure any of the local newspapers or the local media outlets have picked this up. But my guess is it's going to be a big story. Michelle Obama, remember her her brother and sister-in-law had two kids that were enrolled at University School in River Hills. If you do not know, University School is, I I think you you could make an argument that it's the best school in in Wisconsin. It is a private school. Uh, The tuition, I think if you want to send a third grader there, it's like 23 grand a year. So it 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 is a very expensive school. I, I know a lot of people who are graduates of university school. In, in the really piece of trivia, I was a part-time teacher at university school. I was their debate coach back when I was in law school. It goes back that long, and I, I, I worked part-time coaching debate. And, and, and they, they, were really, they were great kids. And contrary to this image that everybody that goes to university school is really super rich, at the time, and I think now too, they had great outreach programs in the community, and they had a lot of scholarship programs. And I remember some of the best kids I had on the debate team were not kids who came from wealth, but they were kids who were, were on scholarships and stuff. But anyhow, it is a very exclusive sort of prep school. So Michelle Obama's brother and sister-in-law have two kids that are enrolled there. They have now filed a lawsuit against university school. And if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to this story. Like I say, I've seen this almost nowhere, but Good Morning America had them on today. Um, they are alleging they, they had a third and a fifth grade child that they have pulled out of the school. They pulled actually the kids were kicked out last year, and the parents have now filed this lawsuit. They are alleging that um, there was that they, they allege that they complained because. In classroom instruction or in the virtual learning during COVID, they heard repeated use of racial and ethnic stereotypes in assignments. Um, One of them said, for example, the use of the word plantation, an insensitivity to socioeconomic status. They were complaining about that. Now, when, when you're spending $24,000 to send your kid to fourth grade, I, you know, it's like, okay, socioeconomic status, insensitiveness. Um, and then they say there was a disregard for the children who weren't physically in the classroom. So they've now filed that this lawsuit against university school. Apparently what happened is they say they complained, and then the kids got kicked out because— the, the parents were accused of harassing the teachers. I, I, I don't know the merits of this. I've got a link to it on Twitter. I, I will say this. One of the biggest complaints that I hear from parents currently is that University School in River Hills has, over the years, become obsessed with political correctness. Now, that's one of the reasons that I suspect 
that there may well be another side to this story. I, I don't know. Don't know any of the facts of this, etc. But this is, it's kind of a breaking story. And my guess is this is going to get a lot of play, not only because it's a lawsuit that's filed against probably the preeminent private school in the state of Wisconsin, but also you, you've got the, the class issues. And of course, you've got the fact that it's Michelle Obama, Obama's brother that that's, you know, filing th- this lawsuit. So I, I don't know what to make of it um, other than Again, my guess is there's really two sides to this story, knowing what I know about university school. So just be ahead of that, because my guess is, like I say, you're going to hear a lot about this story over the course of the next couple days. All right. It is the most undercovered story of the last few days, and I have a link to it. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Now, the Bucks are back in the playoffs. Everybody remembers where the playoffs ended last year. The Bucks won the championship. You had huge throngs of people that were attracted and flying down to the Deer District, and you had the big party thing that was going on. And the Bucks and a lot of the area merchants are obviously hoping that they can rekindle that. Now, on Sunday— that didn't happen because even though it was the first playoff game, there was almost nobody in the Deer District. But why was there almost nobody in the Deer District? Well, because, I don't know, it was a crappy day on Sunday. Now, it was Easter Sunday, admittedly, and so you had the sun and you had Easter Sunday, but it was still, let, let's face it, this has been a, just a dreadful April here. It's cold and, you know, the, the idea that, well, if it's 65 degrees, people are much more likely to go and pack down than they are if it's if it's like 30-some degrees. So there was very few people in the Deer District uh, on Sunday. The next game is tomorrow, and the forecast is not great for tomorrow. But assuming the Bucks continue in the playoffs, and assuming that the weather does finally get a little bit better around here, you know, my guess is that people will be going down to the Deer District. And regardless, people are going to be going down to attend the Bucks game. Pfizer Forum, I guess, will be packed for all the different games. So what is the undercovered story? Well, the only place I've seen this reported is on today's TMJ4, who— a crime epidemic in the city took the the initiative, and I give them credit for this, of reaching out and finding out, hey, what happened with regard to car theft around Pfizer Forum during the Bucks game? So they reached out, made a request. So here's the deal. Um, apparently, um, over during the Bucks game, okay, so during the playoffs game, playoff game, four cars were stolen. And approximately 15 cars were broken into Sunday night during the Milwaukee Bucks' first playoff game in downtown Milwaukee. Um, So this is the area near Pfizer Forum, and it includes like Water Street and State Street. So I don't know that this applies. I don't think this necessarily applies to people who you you paid the $25 or $30 or $40 or whatever they charge now to park in some of the controlled lots. But if you decided to find a, a parking spot on the street— Well, at least four people came out and found their cars gone, and at least 15 people came out and found their cars had been broken into while the Bucks game was going on. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I guess I I look at this, and here's the problem. First of all, if you are heading to the Deer District— that the operative lesson is you need to be extremely careful where you park. At the same time, police need to blanket the area to deter the punks from doing what the punks do, which is steal cars, break into cars, 
vandalize cars, etc. Because if you want to talk about something that is really going to kill something that is that is potentially wonderful, which is like the community coming together and partying down at the Deer District around Pfizer Forum, if 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 the idea is you can't park your car on the street without having it coming out and finding it vandalized or finding it gone, well, okay, that, that's that's going to be a big deal, and it can't be allowed to continue. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you reluctant to drive downtown and leave your car on the street? And should this now be a priority when there are big events downtown because you know it is a target of opportunity? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you something. I think, you know, th- this is clearly should be in the back of everybody's mind, which is what am I going to do with my car when I get down there, knowing that there are all these punks that are out on the street. And wouldn't it be nice to have a declaration from the police chief or the new mayor that we're not going to tolerate this and we are going to blanket downtown or at least the area surrounding the Pfizer Forum. We're going to blanket it with cops and we're going to be on the lookout for this. And we're not going to let people who park four blocks away come back and find that their car has been vandalized while they're at the Bucks game. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Tech line. I'm sorry it comes to that, but okay, this this is a day when there's not that many people down there. It's Easter Sunday, for goodness sakes. It's Easter Sunday, and you get four cars stolen. You get 15 at least cars broken into. My guess is that's the tip of the iceberg, and as the weather gets nicer and more people get down there, my guess is it's going to get a heck of a lot worse unless there is a commitment to stopping it. We discuss in a moment. If you're just tuning in, I I think it's the most undercovered story of the early part of the week. Easter Sunday, Bucks and the Bulls playoff game. Um, While people were in enjoying the game, there were very few people outside in the Deer District because it's Easter and the weather and things like that. But while people were inside enjoying the game, people outside were having a field day. Four cars stolen, at least 15 cars broken into in the area immediately around the Pfizer Forum. And I will tell you, this is not the first time this has happened. My point is it can't be allowed to continue. And first of all, I think... It, it, it is obviously something as to where you park needs to be in the back of your mind if you're going down there. But more importantly, I think this now needs to be a priority. Now, I'd say it should be a priority with car theft in general, but at least when, when, you, know, when you know that you're going to have tens of thousands of people in that one particular area, we know that there are punks out there doing what punks do. The police department needs to make a commitment to flood that area with cops to either deter the punks from breaking into cars or vandalizing them or stealing them, or at the very least, maybe have a chance at catching them before they can get started. Otherwise, nobody's going to come down there and leave their cars on the street. Let's start with Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Personally, I don't think you're going to be stop it. There's not enough cops, and these thieves are smart enough to get around them and hit their marks. Now, that being said... What I think would be a mitigation factor is, does Milwaukee County offer a freeway flyer system for Pfizer Forum like they do for Summerfest? No. Uh, yeah, no. It, 
And that's the thing. You know, you could go, you could enjoy yourself, your car would be safe, and, you know, things of that nature. Um, Why isn't Milwaukee County stepping up to the plate and offering this? Well, I I think so. I mean, they would say— American Family Field. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, well, American Family Field is, is different in that for for parking. I mean, I look. I'm going to the ball game tonight. I I go to American Family Field. I've got a 20 game season ticket. I, I'm never really. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm, I'm not afraid that anything's going to happen to my car because I park in the lot. There's security there. It's a controlled sort of situation. It's not like you're leaving your car on on the street or in unattended lots or, or things of the like. I guess. May, and I appreciate what you're saying about police resources, but you know maybe this is something where the, the new mayor needs to get together with the Bucks. And if you need more police resources, maybe this is something where uh, again you, you need a larger contribution from the Bucks or whatever towards towards putting more cops on the street in that area. But I, I firmly believe you've got to blanket that area if you want to have that area continue to grow. The last thing you need is stuff like happened on Sunday happening again, except in a more extreme situation where all of a sudden you have 30 or 40 cars stolen or 100 cars that are vandalized because people won't come down there. I mean, I I don't care. People will not come down there. Now, if the only choice is, okay, you put your car in a parking lot where it's 25 or 30 or 40 dollars or whatever it might be to park. Okay, that that's one thing, but you know, how many people are going to ultimately do that? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Robert in Bayside. Robert, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. I've got a thought and I've thought about this for a while. What about Getting the deer district to kind of act like Disney and do a deer district security where, you know, maybe they get 50 people that just fan out and mm-hmm. guard the deer district, you know, um, on on their dime. You know, the people are coming there. Maybe it would it would be a, a good thing. It would be show good faith in the community and, and supporting their own area. Well, I mean, that, there's, thanks for calling. I, I mean, I, I don't know that any idea should be off the, the the table with regard to that. I mean, I don't, I don't know that you want to turn it into a, I don't know, like their own little private enforcement sort of thing. But but added security on the streets or working in connection with MPD, I don't have a problem with that because I think people should have an expectation that you know when you, when you go down to see a Bucks game, you're not going to come out find, after having parked your car three blocks away and find it vandalized. Jeff, bottom line is I. I don't think MPD cares about car theft. I was mocked by the police in the district building when my car was stolen. It's just not a priority to MPD. Well, I don't know that it's a priority to too many people around here, or else you wouldn't see 10,500 cars stolen last year and on pace to have that many cars stolen this year. I don't know that it's a priority to anybody. I don't know that it's a priority to the politicians. It's sure not a priority to the district attorney's office, and it's not a priority to the courts. But, you know, once your car has been stolen, I think it becomes, well, a priority to you. Let's talk to Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hey, the fact of the matter is there isn't enough uh, city of Milwaukee police presence on the streets of Milwaukee to begin with right now to begin with. And to pull resources from, I don't know, the various districts of the city of Milwaukee down for those events. Uh, okay, it's an idea. Uh, is, it, is it feasible? Is it possible? Yeah. Uh, but aren't you pulling away from those resources where those people, those officers, those rank and file need to be in the first place to prevent crime? Well, but I don't know I, what the answer is, Jeff, yeah. but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think 
pooling those resources uh, uh, for for those events is going to be the, the the solution. Well, I guess I mean thanks for called that. I mean I guess my response would be though in. And look, and I, I understand you're saying you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. I guess my response would be, though, you have people from all over, uh, a disproportionate number of people who are suddenly flooding that area because of, of the Bucks game, for instance, in the playoffs and Fiserv. So they're leaving other areas. So that's where the most cars are. That's where the most targets of opportunity are. Now, I, I understand you're, you're right that the, the flip side is people are going to say, oh, they all there, there's a disproportionate number of cops who are downtown, so now let's go steal cars on, on the south side, which I, I and I appreciate, I guess there's the chance that that would happen. I think it's a chance that you have to take, and and I think one thing we could all agree on is if we got serious about catching the punks and the thieves in the first place and punishing them, maybe we wouldn't have to be deciding, okay, we've got this leaky dike and we're sticking our fingers in it, and we stick a finger here to block this hole, and then a leak plugs up, uh, pops up somewhere else. Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I, I think more would have to, the Bucks would have to pay more. I, I look at this as kind of a losing proposition that, you know, they want to have 11,000 people come to this area. Like, are, are they making a, a lot more money? I, I'm sure they am, but is it in relation to the, the person? You know, there's probably people just coming there to hang out. And mm-hmm. the people that are going to break in the cars, are probably underage and are going to get out right away anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they should limit the people that can come down there. You know, because I know I saw that tickets were available. I thought, would I want to go down there and fight through that crowd of all these people? And, the, you know, the, the parking facilities are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just, you know, they're too greedy. You know, they need to you know, limit the amount of people. And I, I mean, last time, last year it was a sensation. It was great. But I, I think putting this extra burden on the police, the buck should pay for it. And well, I think that's an interesting for- thing. No, Bob, thanks. I mean, I think that that, that is this interesting concept because I, I will tell you, I don't think, and, and this is, this is not the first time this has happened, by the way. It, it doesn't get a lot of coverage because people don't want to, to talk about this. You know, th- This is the undercovered aspect of this. We want to say everything is sweetness and light and seashells and balloons. And look, the, the vast majority of people who attend that game, you're going to walk out and your car is not going to be broken into and your car is not going to be stolen. But at the same time, th- it's, it's clear that this is, is happening. And it should not happen. Now, my answer is I figure out how you have to pay for it. Maybe it's a conversation that Cavalier Johnson has with the Common Council and has with the Bucks as to, you know, where the responsibility lies for this. But you, you have to have enough of a law enforcement presence to stop cars from being vandalized um, or Pretty soon, nobody's going to come down there. You know, you could be the biggest fan in the world, but if the idea is, gee, unless I can afford to spend whatever it costs to put my car in one of those parking structures where presumably there's some form of security that's there, otherwise, if if you can't afford to come down there and pay that extra to park, you know, people are going to make the decision that they're not going to come down. Just saying. Before we move away from the the subject of crime, just an observation that the numbers, they're they're just not getting better. And I I think, you know, you want to give you want to give the new mayor a little bit of a little bit of time to get his feet on the ground and stuff. But, you know, at least so far, 
you know, you're and, and he's been the acting mayor for a while. What you're starting to see is that the you know, the old boss and the new boss are looking a lot alike. Homicide numbers in the city of Milwaukee, and I think this is a lagging indicator. Right now the police department says year to date sixty one homicides. Sixty one. That is compared to thirty six last year. And as we've said before, last year was an all time record and we're you know, we're we're, you know, not quite double, but but close to that. And I don't believe that 61 includes the two teenagers that were killed in separate incidents on Easter Sunday, 17-year-old girl and an 18-year-old man. The 17-year-old girl was the victim of a, of a dry, of a, that was a road rage situation that was there. Then you had the 18-year-old as well that was killed. These are the eighth and ninth teenagers to be murdered in Milwaukee so far this year. So the numbers just through the roof. The number of um, auto thefts pretty much the same. Last year it was 2613. This year it's 2602. So we're we're pretty much um, even there. Non-fatal shootings pretty much exactly the same. Last year was a record year, 194. This year there's been 193, but I think that's a lagging indicator. Carjackings way up, 77 last year, 95 this year. So the bottom line is you just you cannot turn on radio news. You cannot turn on television. You cannot pick up a newspaper for those of you who still pick up newspapers and not recognize that this the crime situation just continues to be completely and totally out of control. And there there doesn't look like there's any sort of help on the horizon. And that is unfortunate in the extreme. To me, it's all about starting to hold people accountable. But I understand some people don't want to hear that message. All right, let us regear. As we talked about yesterday, this happened during my program, a federal judge in Tampa, Florida, struck down the Biden administration CDC mask mandate on airplanes, in airports, on and other forms of public transportation. This this was a rule that had been in effect for gosh, well well over a year, actually probably more than that. It was a rule that in my opinion should have been allowed to expire months and months ago. But the Biden administration kept continuing it and kept continuing it. The latest iteration of the rule was supposed to expire on May 3rd, and the court struck it down. The Biden administration thus far has not appealed it. They would have had the right to seek an appeal to the appropriate appellate court, which I believe is the 5th District, and ask for what would be called a stay of the order. At least thus far, they have it. So why haven't they done it? Well, okay, they haven't done it because of the politics of this. And it's one of the reasons why I've argued all along that this mask mandate in airplanes has, for the longest time, it hasn't been about science. It's been about political science. The Biden administration understands that this mask mandate is incredibly unpopular. When the announcement came out yesterday that it had been struck down, there are stories all over the country about people taking out their off their masks and applauding. It it's the airlines didn't like it is a general rule. They had asked for it to be rescinded. Most travelers absolutely hated it. So I think what happened is you had this political calculation that went on that and maybe they'll decide to appeal, but I don't think so. I think they've recognized that, hey, this is something that 70 75% of the public 
doesn't want and doesn't support. And when you've got a president who's already has approval ratings in the 30s and the midterm elections are coming up and you've got Democrats all over the country going, you know, if we push to have this reinstated and we somehow win, every Republican in the country is going to run ads against these mask mandates. And I think most people recognize that that would be a, a loser. So that's that's kind of, I think, the political dynamic of this right now. So I will be surprised if the Biden administration tries to push this. I think they're probably just kind of happy to, to let this one expire and denounce it. Oh, we think this is terrible. Um, and, and then just kind of let it go with that. Most people, I think, supported allowing this to go, to, to drop. But again, as with everything in connection with COVID, there's, there's no uniform agreement. One of the things that, that happened is after this was announced is you had a segment of the population, I, I don't know whether it's 15 or 20 or 25 percent, who was absolutely outraged that this Trump-appointed federal judge would strike down this mandate to the point that a number of people started taking to social media and saying, all right, we are outraged about this. Um, the fact that now people are going to be able to fly and put our lives at risk, that airlines are idiots if they do not reinstate their own mask mandate. And by the way, I don't think there's any airline, domestic airline, that, that's going to be doing that. The airlines wanted these things gone. So in other words, though, several people are saying, hey, we're frustrated, we're angry about this, and what we think should happen is we think we should try to pressure the airlines to put in their own mask mandates, and a number of people are out there on the Internet calling for a boycott of various airlines until they implement their own mask mandate, because just since this government requirement has gone away doesn't mean that the individual airline can't say, hey, we still want you to have to wear the masks. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think no airlines will reinstate a mask mandate. I think no airlines should reinstate a mask mandate, but I'm willing to discuss this. Is this an issue? Should people be furious with this? Should people be threatening to boycott airlines, not fly again until and unless they reinstate a mask mandate till May 3rd or June 3rd or forever? 855-616-1620. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. But what do you think? We discuss in just a minute. Now, so the mask mandate got struck down yesterday. I don't think the Biden administration is going to appeal it because they understand the politics of this. It is extremely, I believe, unpopular. 855-616-1620, which doesn't mean, though, that, that airlines couldn't reinstate their own mask mandate. They have the ability to do it. Some people are saying airlines should do exactly that. Jeff, a close friend of mine was flying back yesterday when the mask mandate was lifted. He said people cheered on board. He compared it to the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's see, Jeff, I think the airline should divide their planes into sections, just like restaurants used to do for smoking and masked and unmasked sections. Somehow separate the air systems. Well, I don't know how you're going to do this. Jeff, it's about time the mask mandate ended. And a number of people are pointing out correctly that 
even though the mandate is ended, if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask when you fly, go with God. There, there's, I, there, there's no problem with doing that. And my guess is that there is a certain segment of the population, I don't know, 15%, 20%, who will continue to wear masks forever for a variety of reasons, not just related to COVID, because they think, hey, I don't get cold. I'm less likely to get colds. And, and if, if that's how you want to be, I think you have every right to do it. But as far as the airlines reinstating this mask mandate, I'm sorry, I think that's a non-starter because I think most people support the fact that the masks now are optional. So I don't see the airlines doing it. And because if, if people are uncomfortable flying under those circumstances, well, they're probably uncomfortable doing a lot of other things with life. So maybe you just have to make different decisions like, okay, drive. Jeff in Milton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, my wife and I are flying to Las Vegas tomorrow morning out of Milwaukee at 9 a.m. And this is great news. We're really excited to be able to fly. Um, as you know, it's about a four-hour flight yeah. almost nonstop. And so it'll be great to be able to sit and uh, relax, not have the mask on, uh, you know, maybe have a cocktail. It'll, it'll be great. So we're looking forward to it. Well, you know, the other thing it does is it removes a lot of stresses from the from flight attendants and from the different passengers for having to tell people to Absolutely. pull up their mask or, hey, you know, are you really eating or you're not eating? It's just, to, to me, you know, we, we've had all these right or wrong. We've just had all these, f- you know, fights on airplanes over this thing. And now th- this moves us to that, that next level, which isn't to say, Jeff, if you and your wife decide that, hey, you'd rather wear that mask, go with God. Wear, wear the mask. No problem. But you don't yeah, have to wear the it'll, mask. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see on the flight. I'm anxious to see, you know, what percentage, because I think there will be people that will still wear it, and that's fine. That's their choice. Yeah. Um, so I, it'll, it'll I, be interesting. I will also be interested. So you, you, thanks for going. You're going to Las Vegas, too. So I will be curious, you know, in, in the casinos and stuff, and, and they've kind of vacillated. I don't believe – I haven't been in I haven't been in Vegas for – I'm going in uh, – October. But um, I haven't been there for a, a while, so I don't know where they are with masks and stuff in the casino. I don't think they have a mask requirement anymore, but it would be kind of ironic if you're, okay, you feel you need to wear the mask when you're flying out to Las Vegas, but then you're not going to wear the mask when you're, I don't know, sitting at the blackjack table. Let's talk to John and Vernon. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, you know, I was just on the interstate, and I passed a couple of cars, people riding by themselves, and they had masks on. I don't understand you know, that me, either. I got, but... a, I, I, you know, I got a smirk on my face, but, you know, if this is what they're going to do, fine. You know, just like Jeff, uh, we're going to Vegas on Monday. Okay. And I am just so happy that I don't have to sit there with, with the mask on. And I'm also curious, like Jeff, how many people are going to be wearing masks? Because I'm sure there's going to be more than a couple on there. Yeah, I, and I wonder what that, I, that I percentage just think is. Some people don't understand, you know, the, the, this whole thing with the virus. You know, being on the interstate in the car by yourself and they got a mask on. I, uh, I honestly believe that people sit at home by themselves. He, well, I, with a mask, yeah. Th- which, I mean, John, thanks for. I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that when I when I see people driving by themselves in cars and they've got the masks on, I, I do kind of wonder what what they're they're accomplishing other than maybe they're going somewhere and they don't want to have to pull the mask up or whatever. But you know, and and I. I 
I would say, I'll give you an idea. We're getting swamped with texts. And I would say the, the feedback is, I think it's, I'm getting 90-10. My guess is among the overall population, it's probably 80-20 in support of dropping the mask mandates. Biden knows that, which is one of the reasons why he's not going to you know, continue to, to pursue this issue. It, it is extremely unpopular, and people are, are done with this, and people are ready for choice. Now, the, the one of that 20 percent, the one that the argument is, well, what's the big deal about masks? It's just a matter of you know common courtesy to people. And I guess my question is, well, does that then mean that for the rest of our lives we're going to be wearing masks and and how far do you carry that you have people in society who who have for example uh, nut allergies or peanut let's take peanut allergies as an example well do we say that okay nobody can ever eat peanuts anymore because you might run into somebody that's got a, a peanut allergy that's out there no we we recognize that if you are in a situation where you have that peanut allergy, you, you have to be just kind of really careful, but we don't expect the rest of society to try to conform around that. Now, if you tell somebody in a restaurant, hey, I've got this peanut allergy, I, th- I think people respond to that. But at some point in time, you have to recognize that there are going to be certain risks that end up, that people end up taking. And given where we are with COVID, I think people are just frankly kind of over this entire thing. Let's talk to Gina. Gina, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Gina. Um, just a response to your callers, um, you know, saying how they think people look ridiculous when they're driving in the car with a mask on. Well, I'm a nurse, and I have to make visits to people's homes, and a lot of times I forget that I even have the mask on, and I'm driving to from home to home, so I don't even think about it. You know, it's been how many, what, two years since we've been doing this. And I, it's not even a second thought in my head because, you know, we're still going to have to wear them in clinics and hospitals. Um, so it's not like that we're idiots. It's that we just forget they're there. We're healthcare professionals. Do you think that, uh, let me ask you this, do you think that that is going to be the case? That for, do you think that from now on forever, when you go to see a doctor, you're going to, or you go to the dentist, you're going to have to, you know, wear the mask going in and out? Do you think that's going to be the case? Um, I believe so. And I don't think it's out of line either because, I mean, so many things could be prevented with masks, even though people, you know, yeah, you're saying not you're saying not which not just COVID, yeah. but because of everything. Okay, thanks. For, I don't know. I mean, it's it's entirely, Gina. It is entirely possible that there you you may you well may well be right that you won't be able to go into doctor's office. That that that's one of the lessons of COVID. And even if if COVID is not in a pandemic state anymore, that that's one of the lessons that you won't be able to go into ever see a healthcare professional without wearing a mask. I guess I continue to believe that I think that's that's kind of overkill. But but maybe that is. In fact, the case. Back with more in just a minute. Well, that was a spirited hour. We continue in the one o'clock hour. Guy filing a lawsuit against a cable company, but not for the reason you might suspect. Do you want to get yet another COVID booster? And what about the cops stopping people for broken taillights? All that's coming up. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Wisconsin in spring. So let's see. Jane's forecast says 76 by Saturday. So Monday, what was it, like 30 degrees, 
20 degree wind chill with the wind. I mean, it just and 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 who knows? You think okay, it's going to be 76 on Sunday, Saturday. That that's going to be it. Well, who knows? It could be down into the 30s again later on. I don't think so because the long range forecast had it finally, finally, finally warming up. But I. I have friends down in Florida who are teasing me about this. They're saying, we saw in the news that it said it was snowing. Is that true? I said, yeah, it's, that's, that's exactly true, and reminding me that the real spring doesn't get here till, till May. But what are you going to do? All right. Among cable providers, and when, when I say cable companies, I'm talking about that generic thing, whether it's actually the hardwired cable or whether it's like over satellite or whatever. As far as number of subscribers, the largest cable company in the United States is Charter Communications, which many of us around here have, Spectrum, uh, 26 million subscribers. These are the most recent numbers that I have. This is from a year ago. Uh, number two, AT&T which has 22.3 million subscribers. And number three is Comcast, which has uh, 21.6 million subscribers. Comcast, Comcast is based out of, out of Pennsylvania. Um, Comcast has this interesting program. Um, Comcast, during the, the pandemic— Comcast began to realize that a lot of small businesses were, were hurting, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's no surprise at all. So Comcast developed this program called RISE, R-I-S-E, Comcast RISE. And the program is designed to help small businesses. So if you are accepted in this program, and it, it's open to people who are subscribers of Comcast, but if you are a small business— and you are accepted into this program, you get resources, I'm quoting now, and tools to elevate your business, including consulting, creative production of a 30-second TV commercial, and a TV media schedule, among other things. Um, Small businesses can apply to the Comcast Rise program, and if selected, have the opportunity to enter into a contractual relationship with Comcast, under which Comcast would provide the promised resources and the business would grant Comcast rights of publicity and other terms. So essentially, they're, they're, they're giving you, if not free, almost free sort of advertising. If you get accepted in this program, you can come in and Comcast will produce 30-second TV commercials for you, and they'll run a schedule for you, and they'll charge you little or nothing in exchange. They, they get to publicize that, hey, we're, you know, we're, this is part of the Comcast Rise program. That's the deal. Okay, great. It's a great program, right? And you could see how this would, would help small businesses in particular who might not be able to afford an extensive advertising schedule this would this would help them you know get let the public know hey we're we're around we survived the pandemic come support us right good idea so who is eligible for this program well let me share this with you again i'm i'm looking at the comcast rise website you are eligible to apply for this program if your business is at least 51% owned and operated by someone who identifies as black, indigenous, a person of color, or a female. And 
Your business is independently owned and operated, not a franchise location, and is registered to conduct business in the U.S., and has been operating for one year or more, and is located within the Comcast business or effective TV service area footprint. Okay, so independently owned, not a franchise, registered to conduct business, operating for at least a year, and in Comcast service area. All right, no problems with any of those. Let's go back to requirement number one. You are eligible to apply if your business is at least 51% owned and operated by someone who identifies as black, indigenous, a person of color, or a female. In other words, white males are not eligible to apply. If you are a white male, you are out of luck. Doesn't matter if you're, I don't know, a small business owner who suffered from the pandemic. If you're a white male, you are not eligible, which is why, with the help of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, a number of businesses have filed a lawsuit accusing Comcast of discrimination. There was a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Let me share a portion of this with you. Why I sued Comcast for discrimination. It's by a guy named Christopher Moses, who is a small business owner. I believe he runs a business called All America Clean, which uh, I believe is in Indiana. When I started a commercial cleaning business with my wife in 2011, I didn't imagine that I would be a plaintiff in a race discrimination lawsuit against a big corporation. I'm a Comcast TV customer. Recently, I saw a commercial for Comcast Rise, a grant program for small businesses affected by the pandemic. But looking at the application, we quickly learned that it's only open to minorities and more recently women. The only people excluded are white men, which disqualified our business. The program implies that our business didn't struggle during the pandemic because of my race and sex. But we've dealt with the same issues every business has regarding the pandemic, inflation and supply chain um, disruptions goes on. It was my wife's idea to start American Clean, and we run it together. But since we file our taxes as a single-member limited liability company in my name, we are ineligible for the grant. If we had filed in my wife's name, we'd be eligible. But Comcast excludes any business unless a woman or a minority person owns 51% or more. So even if we owned equal shares, we wouldn't be eligible because I am a white man." On February 22nd, Comcast announced the sixth round of RISE grants to 1,300 small businesses. There have been some 8,000 recipients across 590 cities and 34 states. That's thousands of times the company has discriminated based on race and sex. Many large corporations, this is the guy's letter, have gone woke, but federal law still prohibits race discrimination. When I saw Comcast's grant application, I wondered why the company hadn't been sued. I had learned about the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty because it had recently succeeded in federal race discrimination cases. We filed a lawsuit in federal court on April 4th. I hope Comcast opens this program to businesses that need help, regardless of skin color. I love America, hence the name of my company. Um, Following 9-11, I joined the Indiana National Guard. I served in Iraq and Bosnia. I know our country has had its ugly chapters, and getting rid of discrimination is a worthy goal, but now major institutions and corporations celebrate discrimination. I hope I can inspire others to push back. This behavior is wrong, illegal, and has no place in America. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so here you have a guy. He and his wife own this business. Um, they, They own it equally, but it's in his name. So 
it's not a 51% owned by a, by a female. He says, hey, they're, they're, they're giving out all these grants. I have been told I am not eligible. My business is not eligible solely because I am a white male. Does that strike you as right? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. All right. Now, should you be able, essentially, to discriminate against white males? Because that's what this policy does. It says we're going to make these grants available, but the condition is small businesses can apply, but you need to be owned by a person of color. You need to be owned by a minority or now now females. But white males, we're not interested. Here's a text. Jeff, all I can say is, wow, where is the ACLU in this instance? I guess they're only concerned with certain American civil liberties. I think this is wrong on so many different levels. Jeff, I think it's absolutely appalling and illegal discrimination. I hope Comcast gets, gets its pants sued off. One of our texters says, so are you calling for a boycott of Comcast? So, no, I'm not calling for a boycott of Comcast. I'm hoping this lawsuit gets Comcast to change what I believe is its patently discriminatory policy, 855-616-1620. And then you know, one of the interesting things about a text line is you always get people who have really, really bizarre takes on things. Jeff, so now, now the guy owns this with his husband and with, it's, with his wife, and but but he's he, it's it's under you know his name is the principal partner, so he's got fifty one percent ownership. So rather than transfer that one percent percentage of his company to his business partner, uh, wife, the guy is suing. His wife is a sucker for trusting him. She'll get nothing in the divorce. I, you, know, you don't even know where to start when you have people that think like this, but this is kind of what the text line is. So the, no, the, the point is you've got a husband and wife business. His, his name is at the top. And, and think how ridiculous this would be. So if he did transfer you know, 2% ownership to his wife and her name were first before his, then they could qualify? I, I mean, how, how in the world can that be right? You know, and, and does that really solve it? It's the same business, but you put it in your wife's name and Comcast will give you the money. You keep it in your name since you're a white male and you don't get it. That is just bizarre in the extreme. I mean, isn't it? Let's talk to Jose. Jose, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. Jeff, we love the show, but Thank you. I tell you, it's like it's like you were born yesterday. What what do you think's been going on for the last couple of years? We got a president who says if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. So I'm of course. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but this is the way it is today in America in 2022. Don't be naive. Well, th- thanks for the call, Jose. I'm I'm fairly accused of being naive. I, I guess it's I, I guess it's a situation where. I, I'm not naive. I, I'm just I'm just kind of surprised that you know you have these companies, and and I understand th- this idea. I understand that you've got this this. The plan is we want to help small businesses, but you just wonder if if anybody's sitting around the table. This is the interesting to me thing is that apparently nobody's sitting around the table when when Com- Comcast came up with this and they say hey, what a great marketing thing, and we're we're going to be able to help businesses in the area. We'll work out this advertising schedule. Everybody said it's a great idea, but then when somebody said, but let's Let's exclude companies that are owned by white males, even though they might have even been hit harder in the pandemic than some of the the female-owned companies or some of the minority-owned companies. Let's exclude them. Isn't it interesting that apparently nobody at that table raised their hand and said, 
huh, how, how, is, this, how is this fair? I mean, I, I understand that we want to, you know, help out, you know, the, and, you know, give rise and, and help out the minority-owned businesses and stuff, but is this really the best way to do it by telling white males that you are not welcome to, you know, apply for this? And, and by the way, it's it's not even— like preferences. I mean, in some cases, you get preferences when you're bidding on government contracts, et cetera, that, that are out there. But this is this is just blatant. It's blatant discrimination. We're not talking about precedent. We're not talking about preferences. We're saying white males do not apply. You're not welcome. So there, there you go. Uh, where will this go? I guess time will tell, but hopefully where it goes is Comcast takes a step back and says, you know, this this just isn't right. Just like when the Department of Agriculture not that long ago came out with its plan that we're going to identify certain minority farmers and we're going to give them sort of relief, but otherwise, you know, don't don't bother asking. Now they've backed off of that under the threat of lawsuits. So you're in this situation where apparently now there's starting to be a little bit of a blowback. It, it, it's fine. You know, go woke and you don't necessarily go broke, but go woke and end up discriminating against other people. Maybe you're going to get called on the carpet. I'll continue to keep you apprised of what happens with this Comcast lawsuit. Stick around. It is a sign of a return to normalcy. Masks on airplanes are going away and hugs are back. Yes, yes, hugs are back. Are they back all over? Well, I I don't know, but they are back in the one place that made its name by offering hugs, and that is Disneyland and Disney World. Now, if you have ever gone to either Disneyland or Disney World, you know that one of one of the attractions, primarily for children, but adults every once in a while too, is kids love to see like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and Donald Duck and Pluto and all the different Disney characters. And kids will run up and they'll get hugs. And that's that's one of the things. Chances are if you if you have taken a kid to Disney World or Disneyland, my guess is if you go through your photo album, you're going to find a picture of your kid or your grandkid or whatever hugging Mickey Mouse or, or whatever. It's just something that they do. Well, first of all, the, the Disney parks, the theme parks were closed for about 14 months. And then when they reopened last April, they, re, they reopened, but the rule was no hugs. No interactions with characters at all because, I guess, of, again, concerns that that, that COVID would spread or whatever. Well, right or wrong, I understand people still feel differently about dropping the mask mandates on airplanes. Right or wrong, Disney has now, maybe partially in response to a lot of the blowback they're getting from some of their quote-unquote woke policies that they've implemented, but Disney has decided, both in Florida and in California, that the hugs are going to be back. So apparently they, they they announced this just this week. So on Monday, story I'm looking at the New York Times, two-year-old with her parents, trained her eyes on someone coming around the corner in red trousers and big white gloves, squeal screaming. She picked herself up off the pavement, ran towards him with her arms outstretched. Her mother, father, and uncle chased after her, scrambled to unlock their iPhones to catch a photo of their embrace. That's right. Cheese, cheese. 
Um, Two-year-old Rory shouted towards her paparazzi as Mickey knelt and started to rub noses with her. Uh, The mother wiped away tears. We've been waiting and waiting for a character interaction to come back, and now it has. So also I think some of the characters might be in need of a hug as well. So the bottom line is... I understand that we're, we've still got concerns about COVID and things like that, but if you want to look at how things are starting to change, hugs are back at Disney. I guess my take is if you can afford to go to Disney with what all they charge, I, I do believe that you know maybe the hug should in fact be free. But they're back, so if you've got a trip to Disney planned, no worries there. I want to revisit something we talked about a week or two ago because I've had a couple different experiences with regard to this. And I really want to discuss this with you. And it has to do with tipping. Uh, now, I think, you know, people who, who know me in my like real life would tell you like regular restaurants I go to and stuff, they, they, they don't mind getting the, the Wagner table because I, I have always tended to over tip. Uh, my, my philosophy has kind of always been that, you know, that $5 extra might mean more to the server than it does to me. And I'm not sure I'm always going to be in a position in my life where I can afford to give that extra $5, but I can now. So I I, I like to think that in general, I'm a pretty good tipper. But I I wrestle with, with certain things. For example, there seems to now be this expectation that we tip in circumstances that we would typically never have have issued tips before. Um, For example, I'm going to the baseball game tonight. This will be the the third game I've attended since, including opening day. So at American Family Field. Now, commonly, if 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 I had ordered a beer in the stands and you got the beer guy coming up, I I would have like rounded up. Now they don't take cash. So now what happens? Or you can pay cash almost nowhere. So essentially, it's all like like credit card sort of things. So you know, typically, if I was buying something from a vendor and it was. I, I don't know, $18, I'd give them a 20, I'd say keep the, keep the change, that's it. Well, now now that's not what happens. You get, you get the handheld thing, you have to put in your credit card, so it says what that is, and then all these buttons pop up, these boxes. Tip, suggested tip, 10%, 15%, 20% tip, 25% tip. Okay, well, th- th- that's fine with, with the beer vendor that I would have typically tipped. But I have to admit, historically, if I had gone to I had gone myself to a concession stand and I had ordered two hot dogs and the guy or the gal behind the counter had reached over, gotten the two hot dogs, come back and said that's fifteen dollars, I would have probably given him fifteen dollars. I would not have been inclined to leave a tip. Now you put your card in and you get those boxes, ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent, twenty five percent tip, when what what they've done is just taken your order, turned around, gotten you the two hot dogs, and, and given you the two hot dogs. Now, I, I always wrestle with this in part because in some cases I know these are volunteers and you know we've, we, we, we run ads, hey, you know, for, for those, those services and it's volunteer groups and sometimes, it, you know, and it goes towards, you know, whatever the, the group is. And so I, I don't mind throwing a couple bucks in. But at the same time, I'm thinking, huh, okay, you know, is this really something – should you really be tipping now if I, if I want to make a little bit of a contribution? All right, well, here's where it really hit home. When I was at the ball game on, um, maybe it was opening day, uh, my seats are kind of behind home plate on the first level. And there there is a self-service drink thing. It, it's ju- a couple giant coolers that have various types of beer and soda and wine coolers or the fizzy stuff or whatever that is. You get in line. 
you walk through, you open up the cooler, you pick out what you want, Miller Lite, Happy Space, Place from Third Space, or Brewery, whatever. You then take it. Now, in years past, you would take the the things that you have physically removed from the cooler, and you would go up to, they'd have a counter there, and there'd be two people behind the cash register, and they would ring it up. And, you know, you'd pay for it with a card, and there you get, like, the boxes that say, do you want to leave a tip? Well, they've replaced the people. Now it's completely self-service. You go up to the the counter, and it's like the grocery store where you've got the scanners. You scan the beer yourself, and then it tells you, you know, how much the cost is. You put your credit card in, and it still has those boxes. Do you want to tip 10%, 15%, 20%? Now, there is somebody an employee who's kind of in the area in case you have problems and can't figure out, just just like at the grocery store, for the people who go into that self-service checkout aisle and can't figure it out, um, there's somebody there to help, but they're not doing anything. So I, I admit this came up, and I, I drew the line. I said, I'm, I've gotten the soda, I've gotten the beer myself, I've rung it up myself, I've paid for it myself. No, I, I'm if I'm tipping anybody, I'm tipping me because I'm the one that's done all the work. But you, again, you have this this box that's out there. And I guess I wonder, how far does this go? Where are our expectations? When you go through the grocery store, I mean, should you should you be tipping? Um, you know, should you be tipping the cashier? Is is this the new thing? I put all my groceries on the belt. They go through. Should I should I be tipping the cashier for ringing up my groceries? Where, where do you draw the line? Because historically, yeah, I mean, there's been some industries, non minimum wage industries like waitresses and things like that. Waiters, servers depend on tips. That's that's their compensation, and we know it. But for people who are getting regular salaries, is there an expectation, or should there be an expectation that that you you issue tips? Our friend and colleague, my teammate, Melissa Barkley, we were talking about this whenever we did last time, and she said, she told me a story about how she ordered rest food from a Chinese restaurant, not delivered. And so this isn't talking about tipping the delivery guy that brings you the food. She went, she called up, ordered the food. She goes to the Chinese restaurant. She walks in, says, hi, I'm Melissa. They've got an order. The guy walks back, gets the order, brings it back, and gives it to her. And and she ended up tipping. All right. And, and it might even be the owner. Is that... Is that what we now tip? Should we be tipping the dry cleaners? When I go in to pick up my, my shirts and a suit or something, and I say, okay, I'm, uh, this is it. This is the phone number. And they give me that, and they say, okay, that's like $15 or whatever. Should I be, should I be tipping 18 Should I be tipping $5 on that? Because they went and they got my, my suit. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do we handle this to tip or not to tip? And should we be expanding it? And I understand there's all this subtle pressure that's out there in these situations where you perhaps ordinarily would not tip, but now you get that box that comes up since it's all being paid for credit cards. And I'm not trying to, to shaft people, and I appreciate that you know people are, are helping other people and things like that, but for, for industries and for businesses and for people who are in categories where we typically didn't tip, do, do we now tip? And if you're going to, I don't know, tip the guy at the Chinese restaurant for getting your food, why aren't we tipping the, the person at the, the cashier at the grocery store? Why aren't we tipping the person at, at the dry cleaner? 
Um, 855-616-1620. How are you handling this? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I only tip when the services provided are not being done by me. Sit-down restaurants, barbershop, food delivery, not fast food places. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Great topic. Um, in fact, I just was struggling with this yesterday. I was at a noodles and company, and those bars, those boxes come up, and um, it's hard because sometimes it's not so subtle the suggestion because you know they see the, the amount you paid when they uh, pull the receipt out, and uh, you right. wonder about how they, you know, are going to treat you once they see you didn't tip. <laughs> but um, I have always felt like okay, if the person is having to wait on you and move around, that's different. And it seems like those boxes have become more ubiquitous since yep. COVID started because, you know, we were, you know, service industry people, you know, we were, you know, saying, wow, they're, they're you know, having to be exposed to it and everything now. But now that some of these restaurants are starting at $15 an hour, in fact, many of these restaurants are starting at $15 an hour, I have much less sort of sympathy for them, you know, not that I have sympathy, but I um, have much less, you know, incl- inclination to tip. Right. So I am not tipping any of those fast food restaurants. Um, and, you know, places like McDonald's, Burger King, those boxes don't even come up. So um, Yet. it's more of those specialty kind of places. Y- yet they don't come up. <laughs> you know, but no, they, they, thanks for calling. No, but, yeah. but but see, that's 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 a. I mean, that that's a good question. I mean, if you're going to make the decision that you're going to tip, you know, when those boxes come up at certain places, well, why why not? Why wouldn't you tip at a, at a Burger Doodle? When you know, why don't those boxes come up? I mean, why why should you be tipping the 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 cashier at the grocery store? Why don't you tip the guy who who goes and, and fetches your shirts? You know, when at, at the dry cleaner. I mean, I guess that's where is where is that line? Now, some people are saying you can always say no. And that, that's true. You can always say no. But there is this implied pressure that is there when these boxes come up, almost as if there is an expectation. And I guess that's my question. Is that a fair expectation that you will tip in areas where traditionally gratuities weren't expected or required? Let's talk to um, Mike in uh, Cudahy. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great topic. Thanks. And um, I think People need to tip as if, you know, how they feel about it. If you feel that person deserves a tip, great. But a lot of companies, especially after the pandemic, um, are charging like a 2.5 to 3% service charge, the smaller operations are. And you don't know that unless you read the fine line or the terms and conditions of a contract. Mm -hmm. So companies and restaurants, if they're not telling you that, you know, your bill is 30 bucks and you want to tip, 20% 20% on that. But then also you look at your credit card statement and you're like, why is that even a few more bucks more? Mm-hmm. Because they, they added on the service charge. So companies should be a little bit more forefront with the service charge fee that they add. So yeah. like delivery people, people who do do good service and deserve a tip yep. aren't getting um, shortchanged on right. what you would normally give them. If you're going to give them five, now you're maybe only going to give them $3. Yeah, uh, because so it's built in. No, no, thanks for. I mean, again, and I, I'm not, I'm not discouraging people from tipping. And actually, like I say, if I, I think 
you know, the regular places we go, people, you know, like, like to get our table because I, I tend, I try to be generous. I'm just, I am wondering what the limits are and what the definitions of this are. And I, I do acknowledge, and I mean, I did draw the line the other day when it, it's completely self-service. And, and I'm, I'm not faulting the employees. This, this is the way the things it's set up, but it's completely and totally self-service. I've grabbed the cans of beer. I've gone, I've rung it up myself. I put my credit card in. There is nobody around other than there is, you know, one employee who's making sure if there's problems. What am I, who am I going to tip? And, and I guess that that's the thing I also wrestle with when when it would traditionally, it, like I say, you, you go up to the counter, you order a couple hot dogs or, or whatever, and, and maybe, again, because it's a community group or whatever you want to support, maybe you throw a couple dollars in, but now there's this implied thing that's out there. Are you supposed to do it? I mean, is is this this expectation that the idea that, okay, just the mere act of going and getting your laundry or ringing up your groceries or what what about a hardware store? You walk into the hardware store and you've got the, the guy that greets you and says, can I help you? And you say, yeah, I, I'm looking for... I'm looking for this size screw. Okay, here, I'll, I'll take you down here. You know, you go back, they, you walk to aisle 18, they walk you down, they show you, okay, the, these are the, this is the size screw you need. You say, that's great. They give you a couple of the screws. Are, are you supposed to tip that guy 10% or, or whatever? I mean, he's, he's actually provided you with the service. He's walked you to the aisle where the thing is and saved you time. Are you supposed to give them money? Now, my, my answer would be there was never an expectation that that's because that's not – that is not an industry where where people are tipped, but providing counter service, for example, in restaurants, has never been an industry where that there was a where there was an expectation of, of tipping. Let's talk to uh, Dan. Dan in Bayview, you're on WTMJ. I don't like this practice. I go in and buy a sub or something, and I use the card reader and I give a tip on the credit card. Does the business get that tip, or does the person get the tip? And if the person gets it, how does the person get it when I pay for it on the credit card? Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I, I think that's a that's a fair question. Uh, you know, when this when when Melissa was talking about she she left a tip at the Chinese restaurant. My question is, okay, who gets the if it's the owner, for example, that goes back and gets your food? Does the owner does the business get the the tip? I mean, who does the kitchen get the tip? Who 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 gets that whole thing? Yeah, I, I, I you know it raises all these different types of questions. No, thanks for calling. You know, that, that's a very that's another situation. You you go. You, you go into the the line. You go to the the submarine sandwich shop, the Subway, the Cousins, whatever that might be, the Jimmy John's, and you say, okay, I want the I want the Cousins special or whatever. Okay, fine, that's going to be seven dollars. So you give them the seven dollars. The thing comes up. Are, are are I mean historically, I wouldn't tip. I, I mean, it would just be oh, you, you've made my sandwich. You know, you're presumably getting a salary because this is a position that's not been qualified for tips. So do you now, is there now this expectation that you're going to tip? And again, I understand if you want to do it, go go ahead and, and do it. And, and maybe that's, and I appreciate that that's in there for people who want to, to do it. But there is this kind of implied pressure that's out there that you, you got to throw in tips. Tom, Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I go to a restaurant or a fish fry every Friday, and these uh, ladies or, or guys, or there have been ladies where I go, uh, they work for a, a minimum wage of maybe two, three, four dollars an hour. Yep. Okay, sure. And uh, we tip after the end. There's yep. six or eight of us, lots of time together. We tip twenty, thirty yep. percent because these girls where we go are very, very sweet. Okay, mm-hmm. 
But that's it. I any other place I go, I do not tip. I'm sorry, I, I don't tip to uh, to pick up something uh, or mm-hmm. whatever. Just those people that are waitresses, they're on a, mem- a very right. minimal wage. Right, and, and right, and thanks. And the reason and you're right, Tom. I mean, the, the in in the service industry like that, you make. They they are exempt from the the basic minimum wage requirements. I think there's a whole different sort of thing for jobs that are tipped, and tipping is part of their compensation, and they depend on it. And I and I agree entirely. I am okay. So I went to the hardware store, and I, I I'm puzzling this stuff out out loud. I go to the hardware store the other day because I needed water conditioning salt. First time in my life I have a house that has a water conditioner. So um, and these, so they're, what you do is you walk into the front of the store where I go and you say, hey, I want three 40-pound bags of such and such water conditioning salt. You pay for it. They give you the receipt. They call around back. And so they have it all stored out back. So you drive your car around back and somebody from the back of the hardware store meets you and you put up you know, you're, um, you, you put up the back of your car, the, open your trunk or whatever, and a guy comes out and he picks three 40-pound bags and he throws it into your, your trunk. I, I've, never, I've never tipped for, for that because it's never occurred to me that that would be a, a tippable sort of thing. So now I'm sitting there wondering, okay, am I, am I cheesing out on the guy? Should I, have been, you know, should, should I have been tipping him for hauling the three 40-pound bags and putting in my car? Because candidly, he had a lot more physical exertion than the guy at the counter who I said, you know, I, I want two beers, and you know, they, they, they poured the two beers, and then that, that 10%. I guess, I, I, again, I'm wrestling with all this. There is an inherent pressure nowadays to tip, and I understand you, you can say no, um, but then— I, I don't know. Is there this kind of expectation? Have we changed this? And are we move, now moving to society where more and more gratuities are going to be required? I, I, I wrestle with this, and everybody's got to find their own issue. I will say I did draw the line at the self-service stuff. That, that, was, that, that, that was it. When, when I get the beers myself, I ring them up. I pay for them. The mere fact that there was somebody there to help me if I screwed up, I'm sorry, that that was not a tippable sort of thing. So you have to decide for yourself. But I also think we shouldn't be pressured into issuing gratuities when, number one, we don't want to, and number two, it's in areas where historically they haven't had gratuities. Just saying. I think when it comes to tipping, you have to figure, like, let to thy own self be true. For example, somebody says, Jeff, I went to Advanced Auto Parts, you know, an auto parts store, and the employee changed my battery. It was very cold outside. I tipped him. It was worth it. And in that situation, yeah, if, if I had just, for example, purchased the battery and was going to put it in myself, I wouldn't have issued a tip. But if the employee, to me, that's kind of like going above and beyond. If the employee goes out and installs it and, and makes it work, you tip. At the same time, though, when I, uh, if I take my car to the the auto dealer to be serviced, I, I don't seek out the mechanic and, and, and leave a tip. Oh, you, you rotated the tires and you changed the oil. Here's an extra 10 bucks. I, I don't do it. They give me the bill. I, I pay for the bill. So the question becomes, you know, again, why do you tip in some situations and, and not tip in others? Got to figure it out yourself. But we're presented with more and more options because as we use credit cards, you've got that ubiquitous box that's there that says, do you want to tip 10%? Do you want to tip 15%, 20%, 25%? And if you decide no, you know, should you feel like a cheapskate? And my answer would be sometimes, yeah, but lots of times, no. Back with more in just a couple minutes. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Jane, that was an absolutely outstanding newscast. You are a tremendous professional, <laughs> and you enhance my program a lot. Should I tip you? <laughs> Gosh, would you? <laughs> is there a gratuity involved here? I'm, I'm, again, I'm still I'm wrestling with, you know, when you tip and when you don't. I, I hear you. And I think there are just some things in some jobs, like you were talking about taking your car to the, you know, get your battery replaced. That's not something that I would consider tippable. Yeah, uh, right. You know, right, and it's just, and you kind of wrestle with this. But but nowadays, you get those boxes. You know, when it's it's all the self service. Do you want to put this tip in and stuff? And and you always kind of wrestle with that. I mean, it's I, I go to the dry cleaners and I say, okay, here's here's my phone number, and they bring me my suit, and they bring me the shirts. And are you supposed to tip the guy for or the gal for doing that? And but, I, it would never occur to me to do it. But. Right, exactly. But you are seeing a lot more tip jars, and I think just a lot more of those, especially if you're checking out with a card of some kind, right. because it comes up automatically. Right. What do you want to tip? 10, 15, 20, 25. Right, you know? right. And it's like, well, I've just never thought of this. And I'm, I am I am not I, – I, I like to think I'm, I'm a relatively generous tipper. People like to like, – like, like at our regular places, like I say, the waiters, the servers like to have us as a table because I, I appreciate it and I know people depend on that. But it's just kind of like, huh, I, I, there's certain industries now that I never – I really never occurred to me to tip the person who – I don't know, makes my submarine sandwich or whatever. Well, or even at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not tipping the cashier. Yeah. I'm not tipping the, the kid who's running the carts in and out. And the assumption is, is that they are being paid for that already, right? Right. Okay, so you don't expect me to leave a tip. But you, you did an outstanding job. I well, mean, it was you. above and beyond. If there. I could get money out of you, I would do it. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just saying. Fair, fair enough. I was just throwing that out there. It was, out, it was an outstanding newscast. It makes my show better. I love having Jane on doing middays. It, it, you know, everything's good. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm not tipping. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. There, there's this thing called, and we've talked about this before, broken windows policing. And what broken windows policing means is that little stuff matters. And if you aggressively stop the little stuff, the little stuff doesn't become big stuff. And if you, if conversely, if you turn your back on the little stuff and let it go, it becomes worse and, and worse. And 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 I, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in that. It, it's like we seem to think, with, for example, juveniles stealing cars, we think they're doing, we're doing them a favor by not holding them accountable. All right, you, you've stolen five or six cars. That, that's okay. We're, we're just going to send you back to mom, and you know, then and you're not going to be held accountable. Well, we think we're doing them a favor because we're giving them a second and a third and a fourth chance, but all we're doing is reinforcing the bad behavior. And what ends up happening is after you steal a few cars, well, then pretty soon you're, you're leading the police on a high-speed chase in one of the stolen cars, or and then you, you run through a red light and you hit and kill somebody, and then you're going to prison for the next 25 years. Whereas maybe, just maybe, if we had had consequences for you the first or second time you stole the car, maybe you wouldn't have been emboldened to keep doing it. And I, I mean, I go back to my days when I was a prosecutor. I cannot tell you how many times I'd look at, at a pre-sentence report. And by the time you go over to federal court and 
came across my your case came across my desk, you were in a boatload of trouble. But I can't tell you how many times I, I'd look at these these prior records of people, and they, they started out with little stuff, and there were almost no consequences, and they kept doing gradually more serious stuff almost never being held accountable. And then, you know, they landed smack dab in a pot of jam. They ended up, you know, in federal court, at which point in time you, you've got a record and you're looking at 10, 15, 20 years in prison without parole and just shocked that, oh, my gosh, I, I've been committing crimes all my life and I've never been held accountable. You mean I'm going to jail for 15 years? Yeah, you are. See you later. But it's that whole broken windows philosophy that the little stuff matters. Well, one of the things that happens in urban police departments a lot as part of the broken windows is you will have aggressive enforcement of traffic laws, all right? It's illegal to run a stop sign. It's illegal to run a red light. It's illegal to drive with broken taillights. It's illegal to drive with expired licenses. You know, all these things, which aren't Let's take the example of the busted taillights or the no headlight or the expired plates or things like that. Is it a clear and present danger to public safety immediately? Well, well, no. But at the same time, there's rules against it. And a lot of times what happens, and the cops will tell you this, is they will pull somebody over for a broken taillight or for an expired registration or whatever. And what they will do is in the course of going up and giving the person the ticket, they'll find that the guy's got a gun in the car or the person will be pulled over and then they'll take off and they're running because they've got a reason. There's probably there's a warrant out for them or, or whatever. And so the, the stop for the little thing then escalates. And there's, again, typically there, there's a reason why if you get pulled over for, I don't know, a broken taillight and the police officer gets out and you run, there is a reason, generally speaking, why that person is run. But what happens sometimes when people get stopped for the small stuff is it does escalate. For most of us, you get pulled over. The officer comes out and says, you know, I don't know if you know this, your, your headlight is out or whatever. You say, sorry, officer. You give them your license. They give you a warning or they write you a ticket or whatever, and you get on with your life. What happens in some places, though, is this turns into a confrontation for whatever reasons. And then you, you'll have, oh, this is an example of discriminatory policing or, or whatever. So in some cities— even with the crime rate being what it is, there are efforts to stop police from pulling people over for small stuff. Last month, Los Angeles, for example, became the biggest city to stop police, took the authority away from police to pull people over for what they call minor violations. So the argument would be, if it's a situation, and minor violations include things like, uh, again, no auto registration or expired registration or, you know, the tail light that's out or the headlight that's out, you know, those sorts of things. They said, okay, we don't want you pulling people over anymore. Just let them go. We're not going to enforce this. And the reason they say let them go is because in certain instances, by stopping people for the small stuff, they have escalated it. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we let the small stuff go? 
Should we just simply say, well, you know, sometimes this will escalate unnecessarily. We don't want confrontations. A lot of times the people, particularly in urban areas that are pulled over, it's disproportionately people of, of color, and this leads to all sorts of things. So let, let's let's stop it. You see a car that doesn't have a registration ticket sticker or an expired registration ticket, let it go. See a car driving without a headlight, let it go. See a car driving with broken taillights, let them go. It's not worth it. 855-616-1620. Is it worth it or isn't it? What do you think? Okay, there is a push in many urban areas to not allow police to make traffic stops for what I'm calling minor violations. Headlight out, taillight out, expired registrations, things of the like. And the idea is, well, when the cops make these stops, sometimes it leads to confrontations. You pull the person over and the person will will take off and run. And then they put people at risk. Or they'll, they'll cop an attitude with the police and next thing you know, you've got tasers coming out and stuff like that. So the answer in some cities is to say, well, we're just gonna let it go. Now, to me, that makes absolutely no no sense. I mean, because what what's the point of having laws if we're not going to have them enforced? 855-616-1620. Jeff is a veteran police officer. This makes my head hurt. I can't tell you how often I've stopped people for seatbelt violations and ended up with revoked driver's licenses or felony warrants. I'm glad I'm close to retirement. Let's talk to... Howard in Mequon. Howard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I totally agree. Uh, yeah, not so much the taillight, the headlight, but expired plates. That's what really gets me. I see these expensive cars, these um, whether it's a Lexus or Audis, driving around with unexpired plates, and there's no there's no reason for that. If they're not going to pull people over for expired plates, then what's the incentive for people to go and register register their vehicles? Well, the answer is there's no incentive. <laughs> the, the the answer exactly. is you're, you're yeah you're right no thank, I mean that thanks I mean that's that's kind of I where where I am with this a number of people are are texting this Jeff if we stop pulling them over for no registration for example then why have a law requiring citizens to register the vehicle if I didn't have to register my truck and car I could save two hundred bucks a month uh, two hundred bucks a year the problem is we have laws laws that need to be enforced yeah I, that's look if 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 the argument is that you have police officers that are behaving in a discriminatory fashion. Well, that, that's, that, that's a whole different thing. Um, but as long as the rules are being for, enforced across the board, as long as the rule is, hey, you, you see expired tags, boom, you, you pull the people over for expired tags. And if the person resists arrest or flees or something, well, there's probably a reason why they're, they're doing it. Now, you do need to be consistent. You can't say, well, I'm going to pick and choose what person I'm going to pull over, expired tags or expired tags. But to me, as long as you do it uniformly across the board, it's reasonable. And I think you should be doing it uniformly across the board. Plus, again, going back to what I started with, the whole broken windows thing, you, you, we could take phone calls from police officers 
for over the course for the next, you know, 45 minutes. And, and they would tell you the same story as the guy who texted me that, you know, a lot of times when you pull somebody over, you're, there, there's, there's all sorts of other stuff that is going on in there, whether it's felony warrants or you find guns or, or whatever. And as a practical matter, don't we want that to happen? Don't we want to get that guy who's the felon with the gun in the car who shouldn't have the gun? Don't we, we want to catch that person? And as long as it is a legitimate stop, and by legitimate, I mean that, yeah, the person's headlight was out. Yeah, the person's taillight was out. Yeah, the registration was bad. Isn't that something that we want to have happen? Diane and Racine. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I agree with you 110%. If we're not going to pull people over because there could be confrontation, they need to learn to not be confrontational. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, have, exactly. We and, have laws. We abide by the laws. If I have to abide by the laws, so does everybody else. Well, I think you're you're onto something, Diane. Thanks. And again, and, and you got to work with you. Look, there are there are some police officers, and I believe it is a distinct minority. But there are you know some police officers out there who maybe cop an attitude or whatever, and. And you have to be aggressive in training and, and dealing with that handful of bad apples. But that doesn't mean that you you tell everybody else, no, you know, don't don't stop this particular car. Here's a text, Jeff. I realize I might sound like a terrible person by admitting this, but if it weren't for the concern of being ticketed, I would have never registered my vehicles or I wouldn't fix things on them. I know there are consequences. I am the queen of procrastination. Well, that's you know, why have laws if you're not going to enforce them? One of the my ongoing frustrations is in Wisconsin, you know, we have a requirement that people are supposed to have insurance, right? Well, there's a lot of cars that get involved in automobile accidents, collisions. They don't have insurance. You know, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I think you pull somebody over for a busted taillight or whatever and you know, show me your insurance card. And then let's see. Where is your driver's license? If somebody doesn't have a driver's license or somebody's driving on an expired license or they've never had a driver's license, there, there needs to be consequences. I want to see aggressive enforcement on the little stuff before it becomes that, that big stuff. And I think most people feel that way. And if the problem is you've got some people in the community who are going to complain because too many of, of this person or that type of person are, are getting pulled over, well, all right, as long as the police are doing it fairly and as long as the policy is whenever you see expired tags, boom, you're going to pull over the car and it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman and it doesn't matter whether it's somebody who's white or black or brown or green, as long as it's the consistent policy that you're pulling them over, I have no problem with this at all. Matter of fact, I want the people who shouldn't be on the road I, I want them off the road. I want the people who are driving without the taillights, for example. I, I, I want them to be encouraged to get the taillights fixed. And if you get pulled over and it turns out you don't have a driver's license, yeah, I, 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 want, you to, I want them to pound the car is what I want them to do and not give it back to you until you, you get your driver's license in order. I don't think that's unreasonable. Well— I never tell people what they should do with with their money. And if Chris Abley wants to take $250,000 and go out to American Family Field this evening and start up, uh, oh, a little grill, and then take $250,000 and, like, drop it onto the charcoal flame and burn it, 
That's his right to do that with his $250,000. Now, I would argue that there's a lot more constructive things that you could do with it, like, I don't know, help feed the poor or house the homeless, things like that. But okay, it's his money. And if he wants to burn it on a charcoal grill at American Family Field, that's his right. This isn't quite burning it on a charcoal grill at American Family Field, but it's the next closest thing. Story out today. And it's really, it's not a secret, but... It, it was not public, I guess. Um, Chris Abley, big supporter of now Mayor Cavalier Johnson. Abley, there, there's this, this group called, what do they call themselves? Fair Future Action. When I, I, I always love these like euphemisms they come up with. So anyhow, it, it's, a, it's a group which is a shell that Chris Abley gives a bunch of money to, and then the group goes out and the group spends money to try to get candidates elected. And it, it, it's kind of the way the law works, and that, that's all well and good. And what happens is the group doesn't have to disclose where its money came from until certain time periods. In the case of the Milwaukee mayor's race, the disclosure didn't have to be made until after the race. But it now turns out that Abley took a quarter million dollars and put it into this, this shell organization. By the way, this is all legal. Put it into the shell organization, and then they, the shell organization used this money to help get Cavalier Johnson elected. A lot of money was put in during the primary, um, bought a lot of money for TV ads. Um, let's see, about $220,000 went to TV ads, and then they, they hired a consultant and things like that, they hired a law firm, all that stuff. And again, it, it's not illegal to do it, but you have to go back and look at this and say, look, Cavalier Johnson, in all likelihood, was going to win this race anyways. I mean, he was the incumbent mayor for all intents and purposes. He he was leading in all the different polls. Did he need Chris Abley to take $250,000 of his money and then funnel it into the campaign via the, the shell group? And the answer would be, well, probably Probably not. He, he outspent Bob Donovan by three, four, five to one, as it was. He was probably going to always be the, the mayor with or without Abley's $250,000. I guess the story, though, is when $250,000 to you, like Chris Abley, is the same as maybe $20 to me, maybe it just doesn't matter at all. But even at that, I'm not going to go out when I go to the ball game today and take $20 and drop it into a, a grill out at American Family Field. And yet that's pretty much the equivalent of what Chris Abley did with a quarter of a million dollars during the last mayoral election. Must be nice. Off air, I was telling Jane my my pathetic Jeff Kmart story that I've told a couple times recently, but it was, I, I was in law school, there was a Kmart on 76th and Good Hope, and I lived off of 60th and Good Hope, and there was, uh, they'd have, I had no money, and they'd have the, they'd have their blue light specials, you know, where they'd have these discounts, but the Kmart closed at 9 o'clock, I would go, I would go over at 8.30 or 8.40, and, you know, they'd have – Kmart had this little, like, food thing where they'd have, like, those hot dogs and the wheel of death that would go around and things like that and the pretz, whatever they had. But they'd put it all on, on sale because they wanted to get rid of it before the, the store closed. So you could buy these hot dogs for a quarter, and I can remember going over, and I'd buy four hot dogs for a buck, and then I'd, I'd go back, and you'd have, like, a couple beers, and that would be dinner, and – it, but it, I, I've always so I've always had a fondness for the the blue light specials, even though that's kind of a pathetic way to remember them. But that's the way it was. All right, in Wisconsin, under state law, we have a moratorium on turning off utilities. It starts in the fall. It's either November first or November fifteenth. I forget when it kicks in, and during the winter. 
you do not, you cannot have your your gas or your electricity electricity turned off for failure to pay. It cannot be disconnected. Yeah, November first is when it kicks in, and the idea is you you don't want people to be without heat or you know electricity during during the winter. So it's a noble cause. The problem with that though is that there are people who take advantage of the system. They know that there's no consequences for you know not paying their their bills. You don't pay your cable bill, they're going to shut it off. You don't pay your phone your cell phone bill, they're going to shut it off. But for the utilities, well, you don't pay it, you it there, you, you don't have that hammer. There, and there, there's no requirement. It's not means-tested. In other words, you don't have to apply and show that you've got financial hardship. You just think you just can't do anything. And so what happens in some cases is people make the conscious decision to not pay, and then it, it just – the problem compounds because it's not like they're just putting the money aside. Okay, I owe $200 this month for November, and I'm going to owe another $200 for December, so I'll just put that away and I'll pay when the moratorium ends. They just they, they just spend the money on other things. So April 15th, which was, of course, last Friday, that's, that's when the moratorium expires on disconnections. So you have people who haven't made arrangements to pay and in many cases are way, way, way behind, so far behind that there's probably no realistic chance that they're going to catch up. And all of a sudden the moratorium ends and now people are eligible to be disconnected. So that's what happened this year. April 15th, people became the moratorium ended and people became eligible to have their utilities disconnected. The um, We Energies says that there's about 8,000 people who are at risk of having their utilities shut off. And these are people who are delinquent in their payments and who have not made arrangements to, to pay the money back. Um, the last thing We Energies wants to do is, is turn off people's power. That's not what they want to do. They want to get their money, right? So once you know they disconnect somebody, they've pretty much lost the, the hook they have to, to get that person to pay and they end up having to write it off. So they, they, want you, they want you to make a payment plan. They want you to call them. They want you to make some arrangements. But you are going to have a, a certain percentage of people. Now it, it's 8,000. Hopefully it's gone down a little bit because once people actually get the notice that your power is going to be disconnected, it might respond or motivate people to act. But as of now, it's like 8,000. And my guess is when it all winnows out, you know, you're going to have a few thousand of those 8,000 who either call up and get on a payment plan or or pay back the, the arrears. But you're still going to have several thousand people who aren't making payments. Now, last time I checked, it's still pretty cold in Wisconsin. There's, there's no question about it. It's supposed to be 76 by this weekend, but it snowed the other day, and it, it's very, very cold. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whenever we have these conversations, there's always a certain group of people or a certain number of people who, who don't think that we energy should disconnect power. The argument is essentially, well, you know, that's you've got people who are disadvantaged or whatever. They're economically challenged. This is the situation where you've had this whole pandemic, and it, it's just not right to turn off their electricity. Are you heartless in arguing that they should uh, that that we energy should make the disconnections? My point has been, look, there there is no free lunch. 
There, there is no free electricity. There is no free, you know, gas. There's all sorts of programs that they have for people who are economically challenged that they can get into those programs and they can get help. We Energies will work with you as well, but you've got to make the effort. And I guess my point has always been if you don't make the effort, yeah, if, if you don't make some sort of commitment to try to make good on what it is that you owe, well, yeah, the only thing that the company can do is disconnect your gas, turn off your electricity, and the company's not the bad guy. You you know, if you don't make your car payment, your car is going to get repossessed. So I was saying earlier, if you don't pay for your cell phone, they're, they're going to shut it off. Now, I understand a cell phone is different than electricity, and it's different than natural gas. But my guess is there's a certain segment of people who find themselves in these problems who found the money to pay for their cell phones but didn't find the money to pay for their utilities. Should we energies continue to disconnect people for non-payment. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, Lynn in Thienesville. Lynn, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. I just want to say it is not We Energy's fault. They will work with you. I am one of those people who could not afford my electric bill, and I am currently on a program that they call Lyft. And I only have to pay a small portion of my electric bill, and then they forgave, you know, part of it. Otherwise, you go through the state. They have uh, help for you that way. You just have to pick up the phone and pay some portion of the bill that you owe. And I guess I'm kind of tired of people who whine about, oh, they cut off my electric. Yeah, they cut off your electric because you didn't have the decency to call them and work with them. They have they bend over backwards to help you. I assure you of this. I, it, it just really irritates me that people just want to whine about the system or get it for free. And then when they don't pay the bill, then they go and sign up for more electricity under their kid's yep. name or something. Yep. It's horrible. Well, it, it is. And I, I'm, so, I'm, glad, I'm so glad you called, Lynn, because I, I, and can testify to that because I've – Look, we energies, they don't want to turn off people's electricity. They don't want to turn off your gas. They, they want to try to work out a payment. They want to keep you as a customer, and they want to try to work out a payment plan so they get their, their money. That That's what they, they want to do. But unfortunately, the system is set up to allow some people to, to scam it. And I guess I'm with you. If, you. if it's not significant enough or important enough for you to pick up the phone and, and make a phone call and try to arrange some sort of payment plan, how can you be too sympathetic to that person absolutely and it really is on them i don't care if you're working or not working they work with you i I cannot say how many programs they said well how about this will this work in your budget or will that work in your budget they're all kudos to we energies yeah. No. Thanks for calling. And again, it's and I understand it's it's this utility that's out there, and and people say this is terrible. But I, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I think it would be fair. I think we are very generous in this state in imposing these moratoriums because we we don't we don't means test it at, at all. By that I mean you don't. 
you you can avoid having your your utilities turned out turned off. That's automatic. You don't have to show that you can't pay. You don't have to make any good faith effort to try to pay. So you you can make all these different decisions and say, well, I'm I, I'm not going to pay this this month or next month or for three or four months from now because I know they're going to have to continue to provide me those services. You know, maybe in a more fair world, it would be all right. What you have to do is you have to pick up the phone and at least make some sort of showing that I, I you don't have the money. Now, nobody's saying that if somebody doesn't have any money at all, that, that, they, that there shouldn't be some moratorium in January on turning off the power. On the other hand, if, if you've got money that you could pay, but you're choosing not to because you want to pay for other things that, again, you will lose, gee, if I don't make this payment on my cable bill, they're going to shut off the cable. I don't want to have that cable bill shut off, so I'd rather send the $200 or the $150 or whatever it is, I'd rather send it to you know Spectrum Cable than I would send it to We Energies. I, you know, th- that's just an individual choice that people make. Let's talk to Sandy and Sullivan. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. I um, had a, actually had a girl that worked for me. She would wait for that cutoff date. That November first. No longer turn off. Yep, where they could no longer turn off her utilities. She would actually grin and clap her hands, and <laughs> and it, it was just a continuous, you know. I'd say, but you have to pay it back. Well, then I worked with them on a budget plan. You know, it was just continuous. Right. It just amazed me. Yeah, I mean, and there's right, thanks. No, thanks for calling, Sandy. I mean, there's because there's, and I don't look. I don't know what percentage of of the people are really in need, or versus what percentage are scamming the system. But at the bottom line is, by by April fifteenth. I, you know, if you haven't made some arrangements and you haven't picked up the phone and you haven't tried to make a, at least some payment plan, no sympathy. Here's a Jeff uh, text. Jeff, not proud to admit it, but I fell behind. I called We Energies. They helped me big time. I'm on a budget plan now, 12 equal payments. Yeah, that that's it. They're, they they want to make this work, for goodness sakes. And if you, if you aren't Punched it, punched in, or you're so punched out that you're not gonna, you know, make the call to try to work with them. Well, okay, bad things are going to end up happening. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news.